of our listeners. Welcome to the All About Animals show. My name is Nikita Dewan, and today I'm really excited to be talking to Chris Lewis. He is a captivity research officer at Born Free, an animal welfare charity that aims to prevent the exploitation and suffering of animals in captivity and the wild. He has done extensive research about captive elephants in zoos and was instrumental in producing the report, A Legacy of Shame. Thank you so much for joining today, Mr. Lewis. How are you? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Um, so, I mean, just, I want to start by just hearing about your background and how you became interested in animal welfare. Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, probably uh, a bit of a, a route all over the place, really. I think um, it was really something which, as a, as a child, I just was always watching um, nature documentaries and was always fascinated by the sort of um, exotic creatures all around the world. Um, went on to get a degree in um, biology and animal behaviour um, and then um, actually became a, a zookeeper for a, for a brief period of time and worked in zoos not only in the UK but also um, around the world as well. Um, but that sort of gave me a, an insight into sort of the inner workings of the zoo world and realized it wasn't quite what they said it was um, mm. and then allowed me to um, progress into the role that I'm doing now which um, is uh, something which I, I love I really enjoy and um, enables me to work on research and improve the legislation that um, governs zoos and exotic pets and and everything in between. Yeah, wow, it's so interesting that you used to be a zookeeper and especially, you know, trans transitioning into Born Free, who has, you know, a message of anti-captivity. So that's really um, interesting to hear. And uh, can you just tell us more about the Born Free Foundation and its vision? What kind of campaigns do you run? Sure, yes. Yeah. So Born Free, it's a, a UK-based uh, international wildlife protection charity. Uh, we promote uh, compassionate conservation uh, to enhance the survival of threatened species in the wild and protect uh, natural habitats, um, but while also uh, respecting the needs and safeguarding the welfare of individual animals. And as you say, we, we oppose the exploitation of wild animals in captivity and campaign to keep them in the wild where they belong. Um, and our work really does span across multiple areas, um, conserving species in the wild, such as elephants, lions, Ethiopian wolves and many more. Um, we rescue and care wild animals that have been exploited in captivity, um, either at one of our sanctuaries, a partner sanctuary, or providing support for independent sanctuaries. Uh, we educate people, uh, not only in the UK, but also Ethiopia, Kenya, South Africa. Um, and our policy team works on a range of issues. So obviously I'm working on zoos and exotic pets, but then we also have others working on trophy hunting, CITES, CBD, EU policy, and also UK wildlife issues opposing badger culling. So we really do work on a, a vast range of uh, uh, areas, um, but there's, there's, there's much more to it than obviously I can give credit to in a, a few minutes, but our, our website um, provides a great deal of information if any listeners wanted to find out more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I We can link the website as well in case our listeners want to check it out. And I do believe education is very important. And in terms of the, an, the you know, anti-exploitation in captivity, I believe that comes from 
just like the history behind Born Free as well. Can you just tell the listeners a bit more about like Pol Pol's story and why Born Free was founded? Yeah, sure. So um, there's obviously the famous film that was titled Born Free. Um, and that's what our co-founders, Virginia McKenna, um, OBE and Bill Travers, MBE starred in, which told the true story of a lioness called Elsa and her rescue and return to the wild. But the true start of Born Free or, or Zoo Check, as it was then um, called, resulted from the life and death of a young female African elephant at London Zoo in 1983 called um, Holy Poly, as you say. Um, and this elephant uh, was one that Bill and Virginia starred with in a film called An Elephant Called Slowly. Um, and that was set in Kenya. And she was just two when she was torn from her wild family by the Kenyan government as a gift to London Zoo. And when the filming ended, Bill and Virginia um, they did everything to try and prevent this from happening, uh, prevent Polly Polly from being moved to the UK. Um, sadly, it didn't happen. Um, she was moved to London Zoo. And fast forward a decade, um, it was rumoured that she had become um, difficult to manage. And uh, Bill and Virginia went to visit Polly Polly at the zoo. And that's what gave birth to this uh, very famous image where um, Polly Polly recognised them. There was mutual recognition and uh, she reached out her trunk across um, the barren moat to where they were standing. Mm. Um, and they were determined to help her. They secured a place in Southern Africa for the for her to return to the wild. But sadly, Zoo said no. Uh, they attempted to move her to a zoo called Whipsnade Zoo, which was the sister zoo of London Zoo. And sadly, the transfer failed. She damaged her foot. Um, they examined her under anaesthetic and did not respond and she was sadly euthanized and and the shock and outrage that this caused led Virginia and Bill um, along with their son and and our current executive president Will Travers um, OBE in 1984 to launch ZooCheck Um, and that is the charity that has evolved into Born Free today and and almost 40 years on um, the work of Born Free continues. and it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sad story, um, but it, it's one which has led to a lot of um, good work being done and, and continues to be done today. Yeah, uh, the story is very unfortunate. It really gives insight into the way, um, you know, physical, uh, the way captivity sort of fosters uh, physical and mental imbu- abuse for elephants, and is unfortunately currently a reality for many elephants around the world and so speaking of elephants and zoos today you had drafted helped contribute in the legacy of shame report about elephants and zoos this was uh, released on may 4th and just for some context the report had detailed evidence on the plight of elephants across the u.s europe canada arguing why elephants don't belong in captivity due to physical and psychological issues and that's why it's not it's unsustainable to uh, keep these populations in captivity. And it also highlights the impacts of wild capture on the social stability of wild elephant populations and their larger ecosystems as well. So just talking more about the report, can you explain what are some of the primary challenges and consequences of elephant captivity? Sure, yeah. And the saddest part about that question 
is where do you even start? It's not just a a simple. It's it's this. Um, the the report was released at a time when the UK government was reviewing the keeping of elephants in zoos in the UK, um, and I think the finer details of which we we may get time to elaborate on later. But the the report brings together research on various um, areas into one report, along with assessing the the current captive landscape. Um, and it revealed a litany of issues uh, in the wild. As, as you know, elephants are long-lived social species with complex fission fusion, social structures um, characterized by female families coming together to form bond groups, breaking apart or vice versa, several bond groups forming a clan, um, clans forming populations. Um, and these fan families um, can exceed 10 individuals in Asian elephants and especially African elephants. And these consist of close relatives, but also aunts, cousins, grandmothers. But in contrast, the median herd size in European zoos is, is just three. Um, they often consist of unrelated individuals who have been shifted from zoo to zoo in attempts to make the breeding program viable lifespan is commonly less than wild individuals um, with infant mortality exceeding that of wild counterparts too. Um, a recent uh, paper only published recently um, indicated that juvenile survivorship in European and North American zoo elephants hasn't improved since the 1960s. Um, and this is despite elephants in zoos having medical attention and being free from the food, drought and predation pressures. Um, and if you look, um, there's a, a, an age pyramid in the report for elephants in European zoos. It's completely out of balance um, with a large number of older females, um, which have commonly been wild caught, and then a large number of infants as well. But there's very little in the middle because these captive born individuals aren't reaching um, the ages that they would in the wild. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also this increasing number of male births as well, which is, is going to cause all sorts of management issues in the future. Um, the current enclosure sizes uh, are many orders of magnitude smaller than the space utilised by wild elephants. The, the, the minimum outdoor enclosure space recommended by the European zoo industry is over 4,600 times smaller than the lowest estimates of home range size in wild elephants. Um, the recommended minimum enclosure size in Europe is just 3,000 square meters, sadly, um, or 0.3 hectares. It's, it's a tiny, tiny space. Um, a recent report by Rob Atkinson and, and Dr. Keith Lindsay, which I'm, I'm, I think you're familiar with, recommended that elephants need at least 100 hectares of diverse habitat to thrive mm -hmm. in a captive setting. So current enclosures simply cannot provide and enable the complex uh, multi-generational so social structures we have just um, been describing. And similarly, um, many European countries cannot provide a suitable climate either. You know, um, I think everyone knows how cold um, many European countries get um, yeah. in winter. That, that's not conducive for a, a healthy elephant. Um, and just to, just to finish up, um, this then leads to other physical and psychological consequences, such as obesity, 
musculoskeletal issues, uh, foot issues caused by unnatural enclosure conditions and substrates. Um, zoos have known for years that concrete or similar flooring causes such issues, yet some still haven't changed the conditions that elephants are kept in. And these enclosures are nowhere near what they would be or, the, or as complex as what they would be in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and these impoverished um, captive environments then result in physical damage to the brain. Um, these changes have been documented in elephants, primates, uh, large marine mammals, um, even humans. Um, and that then manifests itself into stereotypies um, or zoocotic behavior, as was first um, coined by um, Bill Travers. Um, and, you know, as, as you know, you know, that, that results in behaviors such as swaying, head bobbing, pacing, circling. Yeah. Um, and it, it results, it, it, they, it results in similar issues as, um, you know, the symptoms which human survivors of trauma um, demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it, it's, there's so many problems um, and it, it's, it's, it's so, um, uh, you can't believe that it, it's still taken this long for people to acknowledge that um, captivity is not a place for elephants. Um, and it's, it, it's time for legislators um, to bring this to an end. It really is. Mm, yeah, I remember in the report, I think one statistic I was shocked by was the infant mortality rate in the wild versus zoos was for was like 40 to 10 percent. And that just didn't for African elephants, I think. And that was just very shocking, considering, like you said, you they're provided those medical um, facilities in the zoo. And also, I mean, yes, you mentioned the lack of space and also the transfer. You know, elephants are sort of just transferred as sort of commodities and they aren't they're um, seen as unrelated individuals, as you mentioned. And um, as for the psychological effects as well, I think that's also very interesting. Um, a statistic I saw was that um, in 2016, a study that looked at the behavior of 89 elephants, it found that stereotypic behavior was the second most common behavior after feeding, which I just thought was you know, shocking because, I mean, feeding is a necessity for elephants. And the fact that the second most common is just uh, psychological distress is very telling of the impoverished environment. And um, you also brought up a very interesting point about the, you know, the imbalance in the social groups, their unrelated individuals, and how it doesn't fulfill their, I guess, multi-generational social structures, as you said. So can you tell us more about how capturing wild elephants and transfers in zoos can disrupt this uh, social stability and, um, yeah, the social stability and structure of wild elephant populations? Sure. Yeah. It's so as as we said that female they're, they're female um, led herds. Um, so the removal of just one adult female from a, a matriarch led group can result in the fracture of the group's social dynamics. It, it, it put everything out of balance with, with everyone trying to you know um, fulfill like n- new roles um, and. This can then result in the development of hyper-aggressive behavior um, or 
the removal of a, a younger female can reduce the chances of, of infants um, surviving. Um, add to that a, a captive setting as well. There's even then greater stresses that are going on as well because there's much less space for the um, elephants to avoid each other um, or even to come into contact as well. It's, it's, it's all very forced. Um, and from... 2010 to 2019, uh, 194 African savannah elephants um, were captured and sent to zoos around the world, um, including China. Um, they exported or imported, I guess, 147, Mexico, 18, uh, the United States, 17, Cuba, 6, uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, four and the Republic of Korea two and most recently in March this year a further 22 elephants from Namibia were captured and sent to two safari parks in the United Arab Emirates um, one of which was a member of the European Association of Zoos and Aquaria and I say was um, because on the day that we're recording this um, IAZA have released a statement this morning um, saying that they're terminating the membership um, of that zoo, um, Al Ain Zoo. Um, and just to quote a few lines from the statement, um, Iaza say they repeatedly informed the zoo that no import of wild caught elephants was either necessary or desirable and reiterated its condemnation of the import, which are some strong words. Um, and I, I, I'd say as a, as a zoo, um, as a regional zoo association, they're not someone who I've particularly agree with all the time, but I think they can be commended for this, um, at least. Um, and it's completely understandable when you consider the techniques that are used to capture these elephants. Um, you know, it's, it's often involving helicopters or harassing groups with shotguns or other mechanisms that generate loud noises. Um, the animals are frequently then exhausted and separated. They may be tranquilized. Um, while the rest of the group are harassed to stay away. It's incredibly traumatic. It's incredibly stressful. It can last several hours. It can result in injury, death. Um, but the long-term impacts are also something which people probably don't realise as well. Um, and it's been likened to post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and it can have long-term physical and, and psychological impacts not only on the individuals involved but also the family group as well and it also has wider impacts for the environment as well I think on on previous um podcasts you've discussed the the role that um elephants play in in the ecosystem and they are gardeners you know of the of the ecosystem they're a part of um in terms of carbon sequestering so there's impacts on the habitat the group and the individual, um, and it's it, it's not necessary. Um, it's in, it's not necessary at all, and it's it's all because, as as you've said, the breeding and keeping of elephants in captivity is not sustainable. So, it, this continues to happen. Yeah, um, I think it's like interesting to see there are many parallels with humans as well. Like you mentioned, the post traumatic stress disorder and also the roles of elephants within their social communities. For example, um, I read that, you know, the, the senior male elephants, they keep the aggressive younger bulls in check or sort of act as a role model. So I can imagine how 
just separating them as a whole can have those long-term impacts, as you mentioned. Um, and you talked a bit about just the importing of elephants, but um, just asking what is the extent of elephant captivity? How many elephants are there currently in the U.S., Canada, and Europe? Yes, yeah, so in in 2021, uh, when the report um, was released, um, there were estimated, oh no, not 2021, did I release it this year? Uh, there were estimated to be um, 299 elephants in the US and Canada, um, and there were 580 housed in European zoos, um, of which 28 in Europe were solitary elephants. Um, we have solitary elephants in the UK. Um, there's also um, Bunker in Armenia. Um, and since the report, there have been several births and deaths and transfers. So as of today, um, we estimate there are now approximately 575 in Europe. 11 have already sadly died this year, um, with an average age of just under 30. Um, and there are also believed to be at least a further 28 in traveling circuses across Europe. Um, there are two at the Elephant Haven Sanctuary in France, um, which is great news. Um, and a further three are kept privately at a temple in Wales. Um, believe it or not, it is still legal in the UK to keep elephants um, privately as well. Yeah. Um that's, uh, I think I also saw that um, I'd read about like the transfer of elephants in zoos that I'd seen that 22 European zoos, they stopped keeping elephants in their exhibits and 21 new zoos started keeping elephants and only one was retired to a sanctuary. So as you've just given context for um, the extent of zoos, can you talk about this aspect of, you know, elephant transferring and just a bit more about the state of elephant sanctuaries in Europe and the U.S. in, in general? Yeah, you, you look at it, don't you, and, and you go, ah, oh, 22 European zoos have stopped keeping elephants. Oh, that's great. But then you go, ah, oh, 21 zoos have started keeping elephants. That's not so great. So it's, it's no good in praising a zoo for divesting or, or phasing out their elephants if they're going to send them to another zoo which is then going to start keeping elephants and provide equal or, or worse conditions than what they were kept in in the first place. Um, almost half of those zoos which divest, divested of their elephants sent them to another zoo. Um, we have a situation at the moment in the UK with um, Belfast Zoo which has two elephants and they've announced that they're going to stop um, keeping them but it hasn't been announced where these elephants are going to go um, to much intrigue um, and that's because there is a distinct lack of sanctuary uh, space for elephants across the globe um, there certainly isn't enough space for every elephant currently in captivity um, but at the same time the elephant sanctuaries in Europe and the US are not at capacity either mm -hmm. um, and we have to be very careful when discussing sanctuaries or the word sanctuary because it's very easy for a facility to call itself a sanctuary, but whether it actually um, actually uh, performs as a sanctuary is, is a different uh, story entirely. So what we consider a genuine sanctuary is one that adheres to the uh, standards of the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries and the two 
sanctuaries um, that are accredited for elephants in North America, in Tennessee and California. And then um, in Europe, we also have the uh, Elephant Haven Sanctuary, which in October 2021, it, it welcomed its first resident uh, called Gandhi. And then more recently, uh, Delhi has arrived as well. So at the moment, there is room for one additional elephant. Um, an additional three spaces are believed to be possible if it expands in the future. But until one or more large scale elephant sanctuaries are established in Europe, availability for elephants is, is limited in sanctuaries, uh, sadly. Yeah, um, I, I've heard about the, elef the, new haven, the elephant sanctuary as the Haven one as well. Um, and I wanted to ask, um, many zoos, they claim that their programs, they help in the conservation of species in the wild. Um, what is your view on that? Yeah, so to provide some, um, I guess, context to it, um, according to the most recent assessments on the IUCN's red list, both African savanna and Asian elephants are endangered, while African forest elephants are critically endangered. Um, Asian elephants have declined by roughly 50% or more since the early 20th century, um, and African elephants have experienced dramatic declines of more than two thirds since the 1970s. Um, and African forest elephants have experienced an 86% decline since the 90s. So there are um, conservation threats to these species, but despite these declines, it's important to stress that the keeping and breeding of elephants in zoos is not an identified conservation action for any of those species. Um, at the um, sixth uh, meeting of the IUCN Species Survival Commission's uh, African Elephant Specialist Group, um, they agreed that the captive use of African elephants presented no direct benefit to in-situ conservation, um, while uh, Sukumar, who, who's, who's written a lot on Asian elephants, stated that the, the irony with captive Asian elephants is that the maintenance of sufficient uh, numbers has inevitably resulted in the depletion of wild populations. So simply put, zoos are net consumers of, of elephants and most research um, that is done in zoos on elephants can either be done on wild elephants or it's to solve issues created by captivity. Um, you know, the, the, the famous one is the um, elephant endotheliotropic herpes virus or e EHV. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, a massive cause of infant mortality in, in captive elephants, but it, it's nowhere near seen to the same scale in, in wild um, elephants, particularly Asian elephants. Um, and it's now um, commonly um, believed and, and been found that all um, or almost all elephants, including wild elephants, latently carry this herpes virus and they've evolved to live alongside it um, for, for thousands of years um, and, it, and it's not caused um, them any issues. Um, you know, they, they've evolved with it just like um, humans have evolved with like the, the cold sore virus. Um, and what actually happens is that keeping elephants in captivity lowers their immune system to the point which then 
this herpes virus activates into a a hemorrhagic disease. um, And that is what is causing these issues in captivity or these high mortality rates. So zoos that are claiming they're carrying out conservation or to um, develop a vaccine for this virus, aid conservation, it's simply not the case. They are developing a vaccine to be able to sustain their captive population EHV is not even considered to be a conservation threat for for wild elephants. So it is purely a um, disease of captivity. Um, And all the research and the money they are putting in is to solve issues that are created by captivity. In contrast, they may donate some money, um, you know, a few thousand pounds a year. But then on the flip side, they're spending millions of pounds to build these new enclosures and, and exhibits so it, it's it's completely out of balance the, these elephants are here to make the zoos money it, it's not about conservation yeah i mean when i heard that argument i've heard people say oh elephants are endangered in the wild so we're protecting them protecting them in captivity but I mean, this is such a simplified view of it. Um, and as you said, if you compare the life expectancy, infant mortality rate, and the frequency of the virus, there just seems to be a disparity in the argument. And I'm guessing that um, the zoos are also, they're obvious, they're primarily financially motivated as well. They are setting them up in public exhibits. And I understand that a lot of money goes towards that as well. And it's you know, said to be education rather than an emphasis on conservation. So I think in terms of that also, the argument falls short. Um, And so at the end of your report, you talked about some of the recommendations for phasing elephants out of zoos. And I thought this was uh, pretty unique because it was very detailed and I haven't seen it previously before. So what are some of the options? um, What are the recommendations and the options for captive elephants? And generally, yeah, it's um, it's certainly not a, a simple solution. Um, and as we said, there's 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 hundreds of elephants in in Europe and North America alone. Um, but it's our strong contention that the keeping of elephants in zoos should be phased out. Um, I think phase out is the key point here. Um, it's, it's not something which can be stopped immediately. Um, it's something which is going to have to happen over a, a quite a long period of time. Um, and due to the ongoing governmental review in practices um, and the small numbers in the UK, these recommendations were focused on those elephants in the first instance, but there's no reason that they, I guess they couldn't be um, developed for the, the wider um, zoo population as well. Um, but we feel the, movement of any remaining elephants to alternative facilities um, either in the UK or overseas should be limited to circumstances where the best interests of the elephant or elephants concerned are being served Um, and in the first instance what has to happen immediately is that the importation of elephants from any source into the UK should stop um, and any attempts to breed from the remaining elephants in UK zoos should cease so that would set a benchmark then there would be no further elephants um, entering the uk zoo population and for those remaining individuals a detailed action plan uh, should be drawn up to manage 
the remaining elephants, um, including individual care plans, which focus on providing the best uh, possible lifetime care for each of those animals. There, there's not going to be a one size fits all approach here. Um, uh, and they need to be tailored to the individual elephant. Um, so there can be um, elephants where possible transferred to the wild or, or near wild environments with their current within their current or, or historic natural range. And that's what um, the Aspinall Foundation are aiming to do with their um, elephant population. They have the largest group of elephants in, in the UK at the moment, and they're planning to send them back to Kenya. Um, there's also the option to transfer um, to genuine sanctuaries that adhere to the standards of the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. But as, as we've discussed, that, that's currently limited. Um, and then the final one would be to consolidate the remaining elephants where feasible and over time into the best facilities available into, in order to provide them with the best available um, levels of care for the remainder of their lives. So there will ultimately be a, a large number of elephants which will um, remain in, in zoos, but the aim would be that they are consolidated into, into the, the best zoos um for the remainder of their lives um and that would then reduce the number of solitary elephants it would prevent adult females being separated from family herds and it also prevent adolescent um female elephants or, or male elephants being removed from their family groups before they are old enough um to be mature um so it, it, it would take it would take a long time um, but it, it's something which is important to start having the discussions now because because it is going to take so long. So if, if you don't get the ball rolling now, it, it's going to continue to go on for, for years and years. Yeah, I think, you know, there are definitely many options and uh, possibly good directions uh, that you've mentioned in the rec in the report. And I mean, but like you said, it is a gradual process. And um, I feel like the discussion around this perhaps has you know, already started as uh, this report is in line with the campaign Elephant Free UK. So what does that campaign entail? And can you elaborate on the proposed Animal Welfare UK bill also with a potential phase out plan for elephants in zoos? There are currently uh, 50 elephants um, kept in 11 zoos in the UK. Um, and as I've said, um, we feel that a zoo is no place for an elephant, particularly in the cold UK climate. Um, and that's why um, Born Free would like to um, see uh, the UK elephant free and, and UK zoos to no longer keep elephants. And we are and have been calling on the government to take action to phase out elephants from UK zoos. Um, now, there are several simultaneous things going on in the UK at the moment. There is the Animal Welfare Kept Animals Bill, um, which you've mentioned, um, and that's currently making its way through Parliament, although it's progressing incredibly slowly and to the point that it has stalled uh, somewhat. So we are continuing to push for that to make it through. And it's somewhat of a, a tree bill. Um, there are many branches to it with different uh, animal welfare issues on it. Um, and one of them is um, zoo legislation. It's increasing the conservation requirements of zoos and making compliance with uh, zoo standards mandatory. Um, many of the zoo standards in, in the UK currently are only guidance. Um, so this would make it mandatory. Um, and at the same time, those standards themselves are also under review. 
stand for elephants. Um, it could see the end to free contact um, and the end to the use of the ankus or the bull hook as well. Mm -hmm. Also, um, their minimum enclosure size would increase from 3,000 square meters to 20,000 square meters. Um, sadly, uh, this wouldn't be required until 2030. However, currently only four of the 11 UK zoos keeping elephants would meet this standard. And one of those, um, Howlett's or the Aspinall Foundation, actually plan to divest of their elephants anyway. So in reality, there's only three UK zoos which would currently meet that standard. So that is going to put the other UK zoos um, and give them a decision to be made, um, whether to divest of their elephants or to build a new enclosure, which is going to cost millions of pounds. Um, and then finally, the UK government is also currently reviewing the findings of a 10-year review into the welfare of elephants in zoos in the UK. And when it began, um, the, an individual named Lord Henley um, in 2011 stated that a phasing out of elephants in UK zoos may be necessary um, if there is little or no evidence of improved elephant welfare. So this is where from time to time, stories emerge that elephants in zoos in the UK may be phased out because this report is currently being considered by government. It's all um, up in the air a little bit at the moment. Um, the government's decision hasn't been announced um, and the new standards are, are yet to be finalised. Um, however, progress is gradually being made. Um, as I said, this is this is where you see the stories of, of, of a possible phase out because journalists become aware that this review is um, being undertaken and it's currently under review. And, and that is one of the possible outcomes that could occur. Um, it's probably um, unlikely. Um, I think what will probably happen is um, the standards will be increased um, as, as we're seeing with the increase in enclosure size. Um, not all not all hope is lost um it's important i think to draw comparisons with the situation of elephants to the situation of um cetaceans and, and dolphin area in the uk um the last dolphin area in the uk um or dolphinarium in the uk closed um in the 1990s and, and that followed a very similar governmental review into the keeping of cetaceans in captivity and what it resulted in was um, an increase in minimum standards, um, which resulted in um, a pool depth of, of an incredibly um, um, depth that zoos and aquariums couldn't meet. Um, so it meant that they had to then phase out their collections. It wasn't a ban. Um, you could still legally um, keep um cetaceans in zoos in, in the UK, but it's just that zoos cannot meet the minimum standards. So that is possibly a, another way that um, zoos um, may have to phase out elephants in the UK if they can no longer meet the standards. Uh, and, and as I say, only three um, of the zoos um, out of the 11 um, that aren't planning to divest of the elephants would currently meet that standard. Um, so there could yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the coming years but but yeah pro progress is being made it's being made slowly but it's getting there yeah um i think uh, hopefully you know there is a plan for 
a phase out. But even if the standards become more, uh, you know, strict, I guess uh, that would be a step in the right direction and also create pressure, like you said, for the other zoos and really let allow them to reevaluate uh, the treatment of elephants. And I mean, I do feel like there is more consensus within just the scientific and general community that elephants are not their needs are not supported by zoos. So hopefully that, you know, plays into the governmental decision. And just talking a bit more about like the public's role in this, uh, I had seen in a survey, um, I think on behalf of Born Free, more than 56% of the UK public agrees that elephants should not be in zoos. And that is a large number and it shows so much progress regarding how we perceive animals. So I just wanted to ask, uh, how can the public help with this campaign? And um, just this, uh, yeah, how can they help and contribute? Yes, so if, if, they, uh, if they're a UK resident, um, there is a, uh, a template letter on our website that you can send to the um, Secretary of State. We, we now have a, a new um, Secretary of State. So um, all the previous letters that people will have sent will have gone to the old Secretary of State. So even if you have sent a letter previously, we would encourage you to send the letter again because it's going to a new person. Um, but there is also um, our Raise the Red Flag programme, right. um, particularly if, um, if you're from um, outside the UK, um, where you can report... Um, what you've seen from uh, when you visited a, a zoo or, or any facility that's holding animals. Um, and those um, eyewitness reports provide us with vital information. Um, we record them in a comprehensive global database and it can help raise awareness and warn other people um, to stay away from those um, facilities. And it, it supports our investigations as well to help wild animals in need. Um, and what I would um, encourage is if anyone is going to su uh, submit a raise the red flag um, report, which they can do through our, our website, make sure you take pictures or, or videos as well, because any time that I am communicating with a, a local um, licensing authority or a government body, they always want to see the evidence. So it's not just what you saw, um, but also evidence of it occurring or, or whatever it was as well, because that provides um, a great deal of, of help as well. Um, in, in the UK, when, when zoos in particular are inspected, they're given prior warning that the inspection is going to happen. So what the inspectors see may not always be reflective of what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. So when you're going to visit as a, as a paying um, visitor, you're seeing, you're seeing it in its, in its natural form. So any pictures you take are reflective of the real reality, really. Um, but there's also um, other ways as well that you can you can send your concerns to the zoo. Um, it doesn't always, uh, you know, uh, result in anything. They will usually just reassure you that everything's fine. Um, but you, you can do that as well. Um, it's always interesting to see what the zoo responds. Um, yeah. The regional zoo associations, um, the government body that issues zoo licenses, um, but there's many um, options that people can do and they're all on, on Born Free's website under the uh, take action section. It's a really good section and really informative for anyone who does want to help and um, report um, any sort of captive issues that they find. Yes, and uh, we'll... 
Uh, we'll try to add uh, the information and links in the description. And I think the Raise a Red Flag is a great program to get the public tangibly involved. Also, I think um, education is very important, which is a, a big part of Born Free. Um, just reading, doing research as just uh, someone, if you want to help, uh, like reading this report can provide you with enough information and uh, allow you to base your actions off of that knowledge. So, um, you know, many of our listeners are elephant activists and they are a part of campaigns around the world. Uh, for example, Lucy in the Edmonton Zoo in Canada, Happy in the Bronx Zoo, Billy in the LA Zoo, um, you know, Bunka in the Armenia Zoo, of course, you know, Shankar in Delhi. So uh, what would be your advice to elephant campaigners around the world? Well, I, I think... Um... Firstly, I think the the fact that we know about um, these elephants is, is testament to you know everyone's like hard work, um, your your hard work with Shankar and and everyone else's hard work with you know Lucy and Happy and Billy and, and Bunker. That that is the first part, you know, getting the the message out there. Because if if you hadn't have done that, that 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 elephant would would still be there in the same conditions um, and. and as we've said before, it's it's always a slow, or it can be a slow process. The zoo is not going to willingly want to get rid of, of of the animal. So, the sooner you can raise that awareness and, and get the ball rolling, that you're you're then starting to make progress. And being aware that it is going to take time um, is 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 part of it. In the and being prepared not to to give up you know I, I obviously i told the story of, of of the history of born free earlier and and that's almost um 40 years you know that born free has been working on um captive animal issues and, and, and elephants so and, and we still have elephants in the uk so it, it it takes it takes an incredible amount of time but the and i think one thing um that i think particularly we've tried to do recently in our reports is not only um, provide sort of our view, but also provide data as well. And th there's one thing um, presenting your your opinion of you know this isn't right, and then the zoo says, well, no, it, we think it is right, and and it, and it's a tit for tat. But if you can present um, data on, on on things that cannot be argued, cannot be um, debated, so as we were discussing with the infant mortality and, and the lifespan and the enclosure size, that, that is fact. Um, and people may interpret it in different ways, but, but that is fact. That, that's not a, an opinion. Um, and it's just building a volume of evidence, I guess, to help your case and just keep going, um, you know, and uh, just keep going. And you just hope that it only takes one person to change position in in government or or in an organization that has a different viewpoint and you could suddenly make um progress that you haven't made in five or, or ten years so yeah it's, it's just uh keep going <laughs> no yeah i that's really insightful uh the idea of being you know resilient yet patient is very important and like you said, data and evidence will just always work in your favor. I mean, sometimes compassion is not, you know, enough for certain, you know, institutions. So it, um, I think reports like yours provide really important background. And I feel like 
sort of act as a connecting point for all elephant activists around the world, um, since it provides evidence that zoos are perhaps not suited to the needs of an elephant. And um, like you said, it takes one person to change to change um, everything. And you know, I would argue it takes one elephant to just set a precedent for multiple elephants. So um, I mean, you know, that's what went with Born Free. They started with started with one elephant, and um, now they're doing amazing work. So um, I just wanted to thank you so much for your time today. This was a very uh, you know interesting interview, and I loved hearing about um, the report and your experience with it. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been great.